Preseason football camps are underway at UVA and Virginia Tech. We'll take a look at how new coaches Tony Elliott and Brent Pry are getting their teams ready for their debut seasons. The ACC eyes ways to up its revenue, and the preseason top 25 polls are out. All that and more this week on Teal and Barton. Welcome to episode 85 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you? Good afternoon. Good to talk to you as always. And David, we need to start today by saying a, a big thank you to Dean Hoffmeyer, our producer on the first 84 episodes of this show. Uh, Dean has been promoted within our parent company and is moving on to bigger and better things, but he's been been a huge part uh, of this podcast of getting us uh, kind of up and running. And uh, his voice has been the one you've heard asking our take it or leave it and our who you got questions. And uh, behind the scenes, it's been you know his work that's made this show sound as sharp as, as we hope it does. So uh, David, we wish Dean all the best going forward and, and we hope he'll keep listening to us. <laughs> Emphasis on better things that he now has to do. <laughs> what could be more fun than spending an hour with us every, <laughs> every week? But uh, well, we hope you all are having fun spending some time to us. And we've had football media days now, David, at, at both the Commonwealth schools, which I think for a lot of people kind of signals the end of summer, right? But uh, how about for you? What marks the end of summer? What what tells you that uh, that the summer is complete? Well, it's 70 degrees here today. <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty good sign. That's a red flag and a half right there, right? How about the pool? I know you got a nice pool there at Casa del Teal. When, when do you close up shop with, with the pool? It really does depend on the weather. We, we like to keep it open until at least Labor Day. And then Tiny Teal's birthday is September 16th. So we attempt to keep it running for her birthday. But again, that that'll depend on uh, the weather. It makes sense. It's a uh, it's a nice thing. I, I love summer. I love vacation. I love the beach. We spent a, a week uh, about a week ago at the Outer Banks with the family and, and two other families with young kids. Um, but I think my favorite season is the fall. But both the weather, that kind of temperate, uh, cool in the evening kind of weather you get in the fall, and, and certainly football, uh, enjoy all that and and. and you know, of course, summer, though, it's it, it, all about vacation. It, it's hard to beat that. And that got me wondering, David, the, the UVA basketball team, <laughs> they're over in Italy. Uh, they're playing in a tour there, playing games and, and hitting all the sites. It's a really uh, great opportunity for, for the young men on that team that uh, Tony Bennett and his staff have put together for them. I'm curious, David, since you spent some time in Italy this summer yourself, are you following the UVA social media posts and are, are you getting a bit nostalgic? <laughs> yeah, a little jealous, absolutely, because <laughs> the, the the Cavaliers are in some areas of Italy where we were not. Uh, we we were uh, in in the northern part, and and really only only spent uh, a couple days in Milan before moving on to Switzerland. But the Cavaliers are are down in Rome, and you know, I've seen some posts from the Colosseum and such. It's it's been pretty cool, the photos and videos. So is Jill already planning a return over there for you guys to 
Oh, eventually. <laughs> we've, we've got vacations plotted out for about the next decade, I think. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, well, basketball is still a few months away, obviously, but uh, the start of college football season, David, that's that's down to just a few weeks away. And, and I think that point was driven home when we spent some time with Media Day at, at Tech and UVA. Uh, it, it is that time of year. And, and you mentioned, you know, the weather's turned a little cooler. It's starting to feel a little bit uh, more like football weather. You and I were both down in Blacksburg, got to be there for Media Day for Brent Prize, uh, first one of those events. Let me start big picture. What, what were kind of some of your takeaways uh, from the message, the presentation, uh, what you heard uh, from the Hokies? Brent Pry remains as he has been since the day he stepped foot in Blacksburg, relentlessly optimistic. Uh, I, I think he's also realistic, but his his energy and his enthusiasm are palpable. And from all accounts, that's how he rolls twenty four seven. Which is a great thing, right, for this program that, that felt like yeah. it, it needed a little bit of a shot in the arm. And, yes. Um, and you, you know, you've talked to him a bunch about this topic, but shot in the arm, not just on the practice fields and, and, and in, in, in-house, but that public persona, uh, the showmanship, the selling it to the fans. And, it, you know, it's easy to say because you always kind of go 360 from the guy before. Uh, they always say that in presidential elections in, in the country that you, you kind of go the polar opposite of who you had before. Um, it does feel, though, that where Justin Fuente was perhaps not as outgoing and, and not uh, as comfortable in the spotlight selling the program, that Brent Price seems to really enjoy that. He really does. And and Mike, I, I think you use a good word there, comfortable. Brent Pry is very much at ease behind the microphone, in front of the cameras. There does not appear to be a nervous bone in his body. He, he likes it, and he says he's having fun doing it. I mean, heck, Mike, he came on this goofy podcast with us for heaven's sake. He right? shoots from his vacation. No yes, way. he was down on the Gulf Coast, right? He was on Zoom with us, and we're like, where are you, coach? He's like, oh, we're down here on vacation. I'm like, good grief, what are you doing? But no, he is, and, and he concedes that once the season starts, He's going to have to tell people no occasionally. You, you just can't keep up that pace because you have so much other stuff to, to take care of. But for, for right now, he is very much the front man for this program. And, and yeah. as, as you said, they need it. Yeah, absolutely they do. And and of course, we've been doing this long enough to know that you know we'll reserve judgment till we talk to him the first time after he loses a game. Right. <laughs> Every, everybody uh, everybody can go a different direction at that point. But the, the comfort level, um, the, the enjoyment he takes from that part of the job is certainly encouraging. Uh, you know, a lot of guys do that part of the job kind of begrudgingly. Some guys don't do that part of the job because they don't like it. Uh, he seems like a great fit in that regard. Now, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the product he puts on the field. And uh, David, there are plenty of questions at Virginia Tech, and, and I thought the coaches answered them as honestly as they could uh, during media day. What, what were the biggest things uh, that you went into media day maybe concerned about, and uh, were your fears uh Alleviated at all, or or did you walk out of there kind of just as concerned about some of these areas? Yeah, I I think the concerns remain, Mike, or or, or maybe questions. 
running back, it sounds like Jalen Holston may be the guy. And and now I've I've read and, and seen from the, the social media posts from our colleague in Roanoke, Mike Nizalik, that Malachi Thomas has not been at practice recently. And we don't know the, the reason because Brent Pry won't face the media again until Wednesday, I believe. We're recording this Monday afternoon. But it, it, it sounded very much to me when we were down there for, for media day that Jalen Holston is the front runner at, at, uh, at running back. And, you know, I go back, Mike, to the fact that there are 48 players in the ACC returning that made first, second, or third team all-conference. The only Hokie among those 48 is punter Peter Moore. <laughs> That means there's a lot of questions. That's a a very good point. Um, I do feel pretty good. I think you do too about this defense, at least the personnel and um, secondary, especially. Yeah. And the secondary is interesting because we're talking about that competition between Breon Murray and Armani Chapman to be the second corner. Dorian Strong, by by all accounts, everybody we talked to there has raved about uh, the spring and the preseason he's had. That second corner, it really feels like they've got two good choices there, right? It's not one of those cases where you're trying to plug a hole and convince yourself that one of these guys can do it. I wrote a little bit about Breon Murray and also Silas Zanzi, the the offensive uh, tackle. Some of these players, it feels like, are rejuvenated by just getting that clean slate, that that fresh look from the coaching staff. And, you know, Breon Murray said he kind of he needed that. <laughs> he needed that that sense that if he put in the work, it was going to be rewarded. And, and Silas Janzi said, you know, you, you can't look back and you can't look at what was, but his approach to impressing the new coaches was to just keep doing what he had been doing before uh, and believe that they would see something in him. And certainly those two guys may be at the top of the list, uh, Nick Gallo, Caleb Smith, but it does feel like there might be some playmakers and some capable guys in this program who just for whatever reason weren't getting the look, weren't getting the love uh, under the former staff. Mike, I thought you got a really interesting comment from Dax Hollifield, who very much liked Justin Fuente and has, you know, no, no beef with, with the former head coach, but he told you he did not think that Breon Murray got a fair shake and deserved more of a look. And I, I found that fascinating, and I, I I credit Hollifield for being so revealing and forthright with you, uh, but I think it speaks to your point about fresh starts. Yeah, we always hear that, right? It's a clean slate. Everybody starts from zero, and you know, Dax and I were talking about that for a guy as accomplished as him, uh, maybe you don't want a clean slate, right? Like, you know, he, he's a pretty darn good and accomplished player, but he, he started talking about teammates, and he said Brian Murray was at the top of the list of – Guys who have always impressed him with his with their work ethic. Um, he said Breon's you know first one in, last one out. Uh, you know studying film, all that kind of stuff. Works hard in the weight room, um, and he said just for whatever reason didn't get what he deserved. Uh, and now you know he certainly has uh, the attention of this coaching staff. And you know Silas Zanzi, David. I mean he's played left tackle, right tackle, <laughs> left guard, right guard. He's been a starter. He's been in line to be like a captain, and then he's been you know sort of busted out of the rotation. The, the, the guy's been all over. And uh, Brent Pry and Joe Rudolph both said that you know pretty quickly upon you know watching a little film and, and putting their eyes on him, they looked at him and said you know that guy's our left tackle. Left so tackle. Yeah. another case of a guy who. Um, Maybe just needed that that fresh eyes on him. 
Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting because you you mentioned all the positions that that Janzi has has played, and they you know immediately said, "There's our left tackle." Now, is that commentary on? Jancy's skill or the fact that there is no one else to to fill that position because Mike if you look beyond that first five that I think we all have kind of focused on with what Jordan at center Moore at at one guard uh Clement at the other tackle I'm missing I'm whiffing oh uh Hanson at the other guard then you got Parker Clement at, at the other tackle beyond that group it gets thin in a real hurry yeah I, I think Joe Rudolph and Brent Price certainly meant it as a compliment when they said you know we looked at, at Silas and said there's our left tackle but I think you're right had they just looked at the roster <laughs> they they yeah. might have said well there's our left tackle because who are you choosing between uh but it's also you know the the leadership role that they've put him in. Um, I'm actually working on a story on that. And he, he mentioned that the remembrance run, uh, when they did the remembrance run for, for the shooting massacre at tech. And it was the same day as the spring game. And Brent Pry told me he was really uncomfortable with that kind of being his sort of public debut, you know, the spring game and it's on the anniversary. And he wanted to make sure to mark things appropriately that weekend. And he took uh, four of his players down to the finish line for the remembrance run. And, and Silas was one of them uh, just to high five the runners and, and thank them for being out there. And, and uh, Silas told me that was the moment that he knew that, Hey, that Brent Pry had pegged him not just to be a, an important player, but to be a leader on the team. And uh, you know, Brent didn't necessarily say anything. He just said, come on, I want you with me. Uh, but that, that sent a pretty big message, I think to Silas. Yeah. That's a really cool anecdote. And by the way, that event is remarkable every year. I, I, I ran it one year. I just happened to be on campus and saw these people going toward the, the starting line. So I went over there, gave them, you know, gave them, I don't know what it was, five or 10 bucks, whatever the entry. I, I think there was an entry fee and they, they threw a t-shirt at you and I <laughs> suited up and, and tied on a pair of shoes and off we went. It was awesome. Yeah, they, they do their best to mark that in an appropriate way. It's such a hard thing, and uh, you'll never please everybody, right? I, I came across that when I, I wrote a story about, you know, how they use the buildings and the spaces where all that happened. But um, it, it was interesting that, you know, Brent uh, had that on his mind and, and also had the idea of who does he want as the face of this program. And uh, another face of this program, David, ostensibly will be the starting quarterback. Uh, I think you and I both expect it to be Marshall transfer Grant Wells, but Brent went out of his way to say he wasn't going to announce anything until you, you referred to him speaking to us Wednesday. Uh, that'll probably be when the announcement comes. And any reason to think that it's anybody other than than Grant Wells, or is this just uh, Brent deciding when he wants to make that public proclamation? I think the latter. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I sense no movement toward Jason Brown. I, could certainly have it all wrong, but you know, I go back to what Brad Glenn, the quarterbacks coach, told Mike Nizelik and Andy Bitter earlier this summer, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but the the line was, "We know who it is, and the locker room knows who it is." That that seems pretty direct. Yeah, when I spoke to him at media day, he said something to the similar effect of. Um, I don't think you'll be surprised is what he said. And nobody in our locker room is going to be surprised. Uh, so certainly uh, it's been trending that direction uh, for a while. And, and, and David, you point out, you know, Grant was pretty productive at Marshall. If he's able to replicate what he did for the herd, uh, you know, 
Tech's offense could be in pretty good hands. It really could. I mean, yeah, you know me, I'm a numbers geek. <laughs> and he he averaged 271 yards passing last season. That's only been done once in Virginia Tech history. And that was Don Strzok in 1972. And no, I wasn't covering Virginia Tech back then. But, I mean, that's that's a pretty big number. Now, another big number is 13. And that's how many picks he threw, which tied for the lead in Conference USA. So ball security needs to get much better for Grant Wells. And truth be told, he probably won't have the opportunity to throw it as often as he did at Marshall. Marshall passed, I believe, on 52% of its snaps last season. And again, the only time in Virginia Tech history that a team has thrown it more than it has passed was 1972. Yeah, and this, we mentioned Caleb Smith, who I think can have a really good year at receiver, Nick Gallo, who could really take a jump at tight end. But uh, this doesn't seem like an offense that's headed to throw it 50 to 60 times a no. game, right? That that doesn't seem, it doesn't seem one, like the vision that Brent Pry has for tech football. And just looking at the personnel, it doesn't seem like it would fit uh, what they bring back. I think you make a great point about ball security, uh, interceptions, cutting down on that. And the other thing that we've heard a little bit about is, you know, he doesn't have to be a game breaker with his legs, but Mm -hmm. if there's eight yards there, go get them, right? If there's 10 yards there, tuck the ball and go get them. Don't, don't leave yards on the table. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how aggressive he is running the football, uh, assuming again, assuming that it is Grant Wells as the quarterback for the Hokies. No, agreed. And, And Mike, just one more observation from, from media day and not to prattle on but i spent some time with Jaden blue the mm-hmm. temple transfer wide receiver and i don't care who you root for who your favorite team is this is a young man who you would want on your squad and you would want to cheer for his dad was murdered earlier this year an innocent bystander he was on the phone with Jaden when it happened, and it it will break your heart, but I stood there with him, and this young man, for all he's been through the last few months, he smiled. He seemed happy. He talked about his struggle to find peace with what happened and how he has and how he's leaned on family and faith and the people in Virginia at Virginia Tech, not only on the football team, but the athletic department as a whole with, with their support staff. And it was a remarkable conversation. And I just walked away and I just, man, I, I told him, I said, good luck this season. I really hope that you can turn it around and, you know, get it back going on the football field. Because in 2019, that's a young man who caught 90 plus passes for more than a thousand yards at Temple. He's got some talent. And now if he can just somehow compartmentalize all the grief and hardship that he's been through and perform on the football field as he knows how. He could be a real asset for Virginia Tech. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And it's one of those times where everything you talk about in in a football locker room, brotherhood, the the team, the fellowship and all that, uh, it seems very real with him. Uh, The value that that it's brought to him as he goes through uh, really the the unimaginable uh, and the way teammates and coaches have kind of helped him 
so certainly uh you're right. We don't we don't play favorites, but uh, he'll be an easy guy to root for, and um, and certainly an opportunity there, as we kind yes. of mentioned at Virginia Tech, because they could use him uh, to be that 2019 Temple version of himself. Now, the other side of the coin, David, or, or other side of the state, I guess, <laughs> uh, UVA's media day, and just this past weekend, I was able to attend their their first scrimmage, uh, at least a few portions of it that were open, uh, starting to get a better idea of of what. UVA is going to be doing on both sides of the ball uh, under new head coach Tony Elliott. So sort of the same questions that we just hit on with Virginia Tech, but what were the questions that you have uh, about Virginia going into the preseason? And, and are you getting, do you feel like any answers to them? No. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Virginia Tech, the answer is no, especially on, on the offensive line. As you wrote from the scrimmage, not only is this – by far the most untested group on the team, but also now has some guys nicked up and didn't have, I think what you mentioned, three players. Three potential starters. And and you're right. It's, it's not just, okay, do you have the pieces? It's like, okay, these are the pieces you got to go with. Can you get some chemistry? Can can you get Mm -hmm. some cohesion there? And and having guys in and out at such a thin and inexperienced position that they're in a, a real tough spot. Now, all of those guys they're expecting uh, to get back. Um, right. and, and Derek Devine was in and out. Uh, he, he's dealing with a foot issue. He's probably their most experienced lineman. Uh, Noah Josie, who they're really high on, uh, Taylor. Uh, so these guys are going to be back. But what does it do to the development of that front five if they're going to be in and out a little bit here or over the next week or so? Yeah. And I mean, I was looking at, at, at the numbers from the guys who left compared to the guys who returned. 172 career starts lost on the offensive line in the offseason to either transfer or end of eligibility and only two career starts in that locker room right now. That is stunning attrition. I don't know if I've ever seen as much. Yeah, it's it's going to be such a challenge. You, you've got a great quarterback, right? We know about Ooh. Brendan Armstrong. We know how good he is. Uh, we know a little bit about how they're tweaking the offense, right? This is going to be more of a pro-style offense. Mm-hmm. They're going to have him under center more. He's going to be uh, involved more with play action. Uh, but is that offensive line going to give him the protection he needs to be Brennan Armstrong, the, the way that Tony Elliott kind of foresees what he can do and NFL scouts won't want to see what he can do? Or are we going to be back to a couple of years ago with Bryce Perkins and, and a questionable offensive line where they were basically asking Bryce to, to run for his life <laughs> and make some plays? Now, Brennan can do that, but it's not going to be the offense we saw last year if that's kind of the mold we're in yeah they do not want a repeat of 2018 um the aforementioned year with with perkins behind such a porous offensive line yet that team went eight and five sure did (laughs) i I think most virginia fans i've seen some who are way out there optimistic and thinking nine ten wins i think if 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 you polled most cavaliers faithful and said would you take eight and five they'd all, or a good portion of them would raise their hands. I think they'd be wise to. Now, I will say, we got to see a couple of the drives uh, at the scrimmage. Uh, Brennan Armstrong, quarterback, two drives. He led two touchdown marches. Um, he threw a, a nice ball in the end zone to Dontavian Wicks. It was called back for, for a non-related penalty. He had a touchdown run later uh, in the drive. It, it, it's 
it certainly was an encouraging performance from an offense that, according to Tony Elliott, has been largely outplayed this preseason by the defense. Tony said that the defense has had more energy, it's had more tempo, more pace, and more success. Um, but in this first scrimmage, the offense kind of came out on top. And, and David, maybe part of that is you got a guy like Brennan Armstrong, you got guys like Keaton Thompson and uh, Billy Kemp and Dontavian Wicks. And these guys been there, done that. And, and they're probably a little bit of what we like to call gamers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the lights come on. Okay, granted, this was at noon, so you didn't have to turn the lights on. But uh, the lights are on at Scott Stadium, and, and that brings out the best. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see both sides of the ball, where that balance is. Uh, and, and, and to me, it, it all starts on both sides of the ball with the run game. Can they stop the run, which they struggled with last year? And can they establish a run game, which is something that that this team hasn't really done since Jordan Ellis? It It, it was such a peculiar season in 2021, Mike. Virginia had its most productive offense since 1990, but its defense allowed more yards than any Virginia team since 1975. I mean, you can't get more polar opposite than that. And that that's how you end up six and six in a year where you have your best offense in more than 30 years. Yeah. And, and that's that's where that feeling that they squandered something special last year came from, right? Yep. The offense is putting up these numbers. Brandon Armstrong is setting all these records. And the results, win-loss-wise, are meh, right? You didn't get it done. And um, now it feels like they've made some strides defensively. John Rudzinski, the new coordinator from Air Force, his scheme is – it's very clear to the players that he wants teams to earn it down the field and – He wants UVA to tighten up in the red zone because I don't know how many kids have told me during this camp, how many players during this camp have said some form of the line, hey, it takes three field goals to wipe out one touchdown. Uh, They feel like Brendan Armstrong is going to put up some touchdowns. They feel like if they can just hold people to field goals, uh, they're going to win a lot of games. And I think that that's a little bit different mentality than we saw under the previous coaches. I think they were a little more uh, feast or famine, go for it. And part of that may have been some of the struggles in the secondary, right? <laughs> if, if you if you can't get a sack or get something going early and get them behind the chains, chances are that secondary was going to get beat. This feels more like a, and I know fans don't always love this term, but a, a bend, don't, but don't break defense. Mm-hmm. Keep him in front, make him earn it, end up with a field goal, fine. Uh, Brennan's going to go down and get you enough touchdowns to wipe that out. So, uh, that in that sense, you feel like the defense maybe is set up to support a Brennan Armstrong offense, and it just comes back to where we started. Um, can Brennan Armstrong be Brennan Armstrong behind the offensive line that they're putting together? Mike, how, how good is Cam Butler? Do you have a sense for that? Because it's it sounds like the staff is pretty upbeat about him. Yeah, so I would say I have no sense of it other than what exactly you're referring to. Uh, If Virginia's coaches are correct about the kind of impact he can have coming off the edge, uh, he is going to be a game changer for them. Um, He's going to be a disruptive force and the kind of guy who allows you uh, to drop more people in coverage and to keep people in front of you because he can beat the guy in front of them one-on-one, right? It's not going to be about sending more helmets than they can block. It's not going to be about disguising. It's going to be about Cam putting his hand in the ground and getting his shoulder under yours and ripping through and and disrupting uh, the timing of opposing quarterbacks or uh, making a play behind the line of scrimmage. Again, you we don't know these new coaches well enough yet <laughs> to know if they're prone to hyperbole, uh, if they're if they're 
quick to peg somebody, a potential impact player. They have not talked about a lot of guys the way they've talked about Cam. And, and I think that, uh, if you're a UVA fan, is certainly something you can hang your hat on. Yeah. I mean, he put up some big numbers at Miami of Ohio. It would certainly be an an added dimension. And, um, you know, we mentioned that secondary, but they believe that they've got players and uh, Anthony Johnson at one corner, the transfer from Louisville, who was, I thought, pretty good last year. And and Fentrell Cypress now has emerged playing that other corner. So they they feel like they've got some guys in that secondary. And and David, it's interesting. No matter how often they say they're playing a (laughs) 4-3, I have yet to see a drill. I've yet to do an interview that didn't indicate they're always playing with five defensive backs. so it, it certainly feels like a, either a 4-2-5 or a 3-3-5. Three, three, uh, certainly that back number seems to be a 5, and, and, and part of that speaks to what we were just talking about, right? The idea that, hey, it's, it's more about keeping everybody in front of you than it is um, you know, getting after opposing quarterbacks, especially if you got guys who are uh, able to do that one-on-one. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see, David, I think how at both schools really – how the visions that these coordinators have, how they translate, right? Like you, right. you, you can want to do something. <laughs> we exactly. all want to do things in life, right? Uh, how does that translate to the field? Do you have the pieces to do it? And, and when you get out there, how do those pieces match up? Because, hey, the other side has pieces too. Yeah, you're, you're inheriting someone else's uh, roster and, and trying to cater your preferences to that group and, and until you can recruit to your system probably for several years that, that's going to be very much a work in progress yeah. I, I, you know i referenced that run game and, and i think that's going to be a huge part of that identity that tony elliott wants to forge he sounds like he really likes what he has in mike hollins and you know, i asked him the other day about he was talking about having to pull mike to be consistent right to always give his best to to not take a rep off and and to be sharp every rep and um he said he's been giving him tough love. He's been on him a lot. And, you know, I, I asked Tony Elliott, I said, you know, do you have guys in your career uh, who've been like that? And he, he sent me to, to Rod McDowell, who's, who's now a running back coach at Jacksonville State. And he said Rod was a guy that, to be fair, you know, playing behind a bunch of NFL guys and uh, that Tony really had to kind of push him and pull and, and ride him hard. And uh, I called Rod and, and I talked to him a bunch and he gave me a great anecdote. He said Tony Elliott used to write his running backs personalized notes before each game. Uh, you know, with a message, some encouragement, some praise, whatever he thought they needed to hear. And Rod, Rod told me that before his uh, final regular season game against South Carolina, he was so hyped up, he never opened the note. And he found it a couple of years later. I believe he, was, he said he thought it was when he was looking for a, a blazer to wear to go interview for a coaching job. Hmm. And he found the envelope, right? Still sealed. And he opened it up. And the note from Tony Elliott was all about, hey, you've earned this moment right? You've put up with the tough love. You've put in the work. You've been true to to the vision. You've been true to yourself, true to your faith, which is just very important to both of these guys. Uh, The point of the note was, hey, you know, you've earned this and and everything from this point on, you know, you've worked for it. And uh, that is now kind of the message and the approach he's taken with Mike Hollins. And uh, Rod ended up being a a thousand plus yard rusher and an all ACC choice his senior year. So if if Tony Elliott can have similar success with Mike Hollins, uh, they may be onto something uh, there in Charlottesville. He's going to get a hand cramp writing 85 notes before each game. <laughs> yeah, I assume that's something he got rid of when he was no longer <laughs> just the uh, the running back coach, but I'll have to ask him next time we're out there. Uh, I thought that was a, a really good uh, insight, though, into into Tony. And, and, and you know, Rod said things were rocky with them. 
at times because of how hard Tony pushed, but he said he, he always felt loved and supported uh, by Tony Elliott. And, and it really was interesting because it, and I'm going to write about this tomorrow, but it really mirrored a lot of what Mike Hollins told me that Mike said he feels like he can't go through a rep without Tony Elliott coming over and picking out something that, that he could have done better. Um, but Mike said, you know, after being frustrated by it a little bit, he's kind of learned that, hey, you know, Tony Elliott sees great things for him and, and Tony Elliott is pouring his time and energy into him. And, and it's something that I think Mike Collins is learning to appreciate. And again, uh, they, they could really use him. You know, we talked about uh, Jaden Blue at, at Tech. Uh, UVA could really use Mike Collins to, to deliver on his talent uh, to help their offense there at UVA. That's how you know a coach cares. Yeah, right. How many times do we hear that, you know, you're in trouble when they you know they don't care anymore when they stop picking on you. They stop yes. talking to you. You don't. You don't want to be in that area. Uh, well, now another topic that that you got into, and and this is off the field, but uh, it was certainly a dominating topic. I thought at, at ACC Media Days in Charlotte, uh, and you broke the story that the ACC is going to be using this fish bait company here to to hopefully spark some other avenues or some other approaches to generating revenue. Uh, we've talked about the revenue gap between the ACC and where it stands in regards to the SEC or the Big Ten. David, tell us, I guess, the backstory of, of Fishbait and what does the ACC believe that um, they'll accomplish with this partnership? Well, it's it's a it's an interesting group to, to, to begin with. It, it it's a fledgling one, uh, an, an, a new group uh, put together by some by some former uh, ESPN folks, and it includes a former assistant commissioner of the ACC who was also a uh, a commissioner of the of the Mid American Conference, so it's 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 a group that's you know got some got some skin in in the college game and and knows you know really knows the college space, and I think that's what really uh, brought uh, brought them to the table to the fore for the ACC. Rob Temple is the, the CEO, and he spent eighteen years at ESPN and perhaps his signature, I guess, accomplishment there was college game day, college football's premier pregame show. And, you know, we're coming to your city and that, that whole concept, including that theme song, (laughs) that was his baby. And then Rick Chris, the, the, the former, ACC commissioner or ACC assistant commissioner and 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 Mac commissioner, uh, he's he's now uh, an attorney for for a group uh, based out of Cleveland called Deets Sports and Entertainment. So these these guys know their stuff. And I thought Whit Babcock had a really interesting comment. I just happened to be scheduled to interview him the day this news broke, and he said, "You know, you think." All right, here comes another consultant. Because, you know, we've all been there and done that with consultants. He said, but then I listened to him and I thought, dang, you know, these guys really do have some interesting ideas and approaches about how the ACC can creatively generate more revenue. Now, is that going to magically close the gap with the SEC and the Big Ten? No, but will it help? That's the ACC's hope. Yeah, I guess that's the part that, that intrigues me is, David, are we talking about ways to, to generate revenue or are we talking about ways to enhance the ACC's value to increase its television revenue? Is both. it a little bit of both? Yes. 
Absolutely. That's a really good question. But the answer is both. And where Jim Phillips really values Rob Temple is in improving the ACC network and in improving sponsorships and further monetizing uh, streaming and ESPN Plus, things such as that. So yes, it, it's more cr- creative things on the revenue side, but it's also you know getting that that television money up as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what kind of things they do with the ACC network. We've talked about uh, Packer and Durham, their morning show. They're they're done with that, and uh, Mark Packer now has a, a new show that's going to be on the afternoons. It's going to uh, interestingly to me, I thought anyway. Um, if my understanding is it's going to focus on football. Uh, mm-hmm which is a pretty big departure from the formula they had with Packer and Durham, right? It was um, certainly football and basketball forward, but it was all sports and, um, mm-hmm. you know, really made wrestling uh, a topic and baseball a topic and uh, lacrosse, women's lacrosse a topic with, with Charlotte North and, and the success that she had. And uh, so it's interesting that they've kind of gone away from that model, perhaps maybe bringing something back in the mornings that, that fits that model more. But um, do you have a good feel for kind of what, what might be next for the network? I don't. And that's what's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, you know, we, we've seen them out on the, on the preseason trail with, with, a, with a tour of each school. I think they're at UVA today. Uh, they've already been to, to, to Virginia Tech. You saw Mark Packer <laughs> grilling steaks or what burgers, whatever it was, with, with Brent Pry um, after practice. So uh, you, you've you've noticed a little bit more of a football presence on the network, and I think that will continue. But in terms of specifics, and and especially Packers afternoon show, you know, I, I'm guessing it's going to go at least for a couple hours head to head with Feinbaum, yeah. right? Which I think, yeah, I mean, and I, it, that, that's the schedule, and and the ACC probably probably needs an answer for Paul Feinbaum, right? Uh, and and certainly with the crossover with ESPN there uh, to have that kind of a voice. Yep. Well, David, at the, at the end of the day, you know, all of this stuff is great. All of these ideas are great. Whatever you can do is great, but it comes down to how your teams perform on the field, right? That's where you really get your value is mm-hmm. if you have brands that, that resonate nationally. And uh, we got to look today at the Associated Press top 25 poll. The coaches poll came out a week ago. Uh, five ACC teams in that top 25, led by Clemson at number four, uh, North Carolina State 13, Pittsburgh 16, Miami 17, and Wake 22. Uh, first off, any reaction to the the placement of the ACC teams? Uh, before I tell you where I had these guys on my ballot, uh, what, what did you think of the way the ACC was represented in the preseason poll? I think it was fair. And Wake probably would have been, what, Spot or two, maybe even maybe even higher than that, if not for Sam Hartman's indefinite absence. And you know, you just hope that that he can get back under center for the Deacons as soon as possible. We're about to learn a whole lot about Mitch Griffiths, who's a third-year redshirt freshman because of COVID and such. But he's he's from the Commonwealth and. Uh, the Ashburn area, Broad Run High School, um, but not a whole lot of experience there for the Deacons. So, I've, you know, Mike, it's the end of season poll that really matters. Sure. And only twice in its history 
as the ACC ended a season with five ranked teams. And that was 2005 and 2016. So if 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 this were the end of season poll, they'd be high five and in Greensboro. Yeah, and I think there is some value for the ACC again because we're talking about television revenue and and what are you worth? What's your brand worth? Uh, the fact that these teams are being perceived this way. Now, mm-hmm. full disclosure, I did not have Miami in my preseason top twenty-five ballot. Uh, I will believe the U is back once I see them uh, play a few games. Right. I've fallen into that trap too many times. I ended up with Wake Forest just outside my top 25. Uh, You know, I I don't know that there is as much there. And certainly without Sam Hartman, it becomes a concern. I think Dave Clawson has just done an amazing job building that program up. Um, Is it a top 25? Is it a top 25 without Sam Hartman? I'm not so sure there. I, I am very high on Pittsburgh. Uh, I think they can be very good. Uh, I probably undervalued NC State. I had them at 21. Uh, probably could have had them higher, especially because I do love their their defense based on their linebackers. But um, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I'm very interested by Clemson, who, again, transparency. I, I had Clemson number six, uh, probably one of the lower, although I know they had some, some real low votes that were outliers. But of the people who had them up there near the top of the poll, probably one of the lower. And um, I just, I guess until, and I'll let you say his name, but until we see DJ <laughs> really put it together, I, I just, I have to reserve some judgment on Clemson. I, I think they're the class of the ACC, no doubt. Uh, I think everybody seems to have a strong feeling that it's Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia in some order in the top three, and then a pretty big gap after that. And um, to me, Clemson fits in, in in a pack there with, with Texas A&M, with Michigan, uh, with Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Uh, so is that kind of how you see Clemson right now? Or should should they be closer to uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, or are they in that next pack with, with A&M, Michigan, and I had Notre Dame there? Yeah, I think they're in that next pack, Mike. I, I vote in the football writers poll, and we only rank 16. Uh, I had Clemson four, Michigan five, Notre Dame six. I was very high on NC State. I ranked the Wolfpack 11 uh, and, and then had uh, – Pitt at 16. Those are the the three ACC teams I had, uh, you know, in that in that group of 16. I did not have Miami or Wake Forest uh, in on my ballot. It's it's certainly uh, a fun thing to talk about, as you mentioned. It's only that final poll that really, <laughs> really is going to matter in in the in the annals and in the, in the archives of of history. But I do think it's it's a healthy sign for the ACC that there's a perception that there are yeah five or six teams because I think North Carolina that they were the receiving votes. Um, I think they've got a chance to to put things together too. Uh, so it, it has a chance to be if five or six teams end up in the top 25 and Clemson finds its way back into the college football playoff. I mean, if, if you're Jim Phillips, I imagine you're having a big old staff party. If that's the way things shake out come the end of the year, right? No question. And Mike, and not that it's going to all come together this year, but what the ACC desperately needs is for its name football brands to stop lagging behind. Mm-hmm. Clemson has been right there, but Florida State, Miami, and Virginia Tech have not. And to have three of your four primary football brands in decline simultaneously, that is a bad, bad recipe. And that's what the ACC has been dealing with. And that needs to get fixed. 
Yeah, and not just decline, David, but prolonged decline, right? I mean, at tech, we're talking about really almost a decade of, of falling yep. off. Uh, Florida State, about the same. Miami, I know <laughs> it's so hard to tell with Miami because every year we, we say they're back and uh, they've only won a, a division once here uh, in that format. So it, it's funny because how much value do you put in you know the, the blind resume, right? If a team wins nine games and goes to a decent bowl game, what's the value to the ACC? Well, if it's NC State, is it less valuable than if it was Florida State? Mm-hmm. And I think it is. And I don't yes. know that that's fair or right. It's not fair, but it is right. It's right. It is reality. It's If you're the ACC, you want your nine-win uh, also-ran team to be Virginia Tech, to be Miami, to be Florida State, because those brands just pack more of a punch. Now, and before NC State fans kind of come at me with the, the pitch, the you know, forks and, 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 and torches and pitchforks, you can build up to that too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there was a long time where Clemson was not that brand. Yeah. Uh, so you can build yourself into having that kind of value. But um, I think it's a lot easier to reclaim your brand and your value than it is to really build it up. And and that's part of the challenge, I think, for the ACC. No doubt. I mean, Whit Babcock and I were having this discussion just last week, and he, and he's right when he said, hey, you know, Alabama whiffed on three consecutive coaches right. before it landed on Nick Saban. And he, he's, he's 100% right. It was DeBose and Francione and Shula. Yeah. And only until Nick Saban rescued them, you know, did, did Alabama football re- return to, to the mountaintop. But the SEC had an advantage during that time because it has so many other name brands that were pulling the conference along. You know, Auburn and LSU and, heck, Tennessee at, at, at some points, and Florida had such a run under Urban, and the ACC hasn't had that luxury. Yeah, that's a really good point and really fascinating to think about. What if the Dabo Sweeney experiment hadn't worked at Clemson? Woo! What would the ACC be? Would the ACC <laughs> be at this point? Because Man. Clemson has carried the, the banner for uh, the better part of a decade if they had not been on an upswing while Florida State, Miami, and Tech were on a downswing what might have become of the ACC? Yeah, that's 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 a question no one in Greensboro wants to ponder. No, no, a lot of a lot of Alka Seltzer tabs being downed. If you're thinking about that, David, before we run, I wanted to ask you this, and we've got plenty of time to, to look at the schedule and look at the games coming up. But in terms of Week One or, or Week Zero, the openers, uh, does the ACC have the chance? to make the kind of uh, statement it, it probably needs to make early on. I, I feel like in past years, there's been so many games that opening weekend that you kind of said, okay, this is going to point the ACC in one direction or the other. And I don't know, this year it, it feels a little um, maybe light. I mean, I, you got the backyard brawl. I know that that's certainly yeah. going to be a, a cool one. And um, I believe the Florida State goes to LSU for their opener. It's in New Orleans. That's in New Orleans. Okay, in, in the Superdome. Uh, but other than those two, it, it didn't feel like a, a big chance to to make hey, like everybody's always banging the ACC. Hey, you got to show out well in your non-conference. It's got to start right from week one. Um, it doesn't feel that heavy in week one, does it? Not not week one, but week two. Miami goes to Texas A and M. Mm-hmm. Large. I mean, that's a, that is a big time game for the. You know, I I don't see them sauntering into Kyle Field and and taking down the Aggies, but boy, if they could, wow, what a statement that would be! 
but you know now as you go along throughout the season there there are other opportunities and you know Clemson goes to Notre Dame I believe it's in November uh, when when those two uh, clash but uh, yeah there there will be opportunity you know NC State plays Texas Tech and you know that's that's a game you know, it's not week one but just mm-hmm. in terms of the non conference that's a game the Wolfpack you know just needs to win so badly yeah i'll tell you the one i've got my eye on just because i'm high on both of these teams this year uh pittsburgh and tennessee mm-hmm. uh, i think and i really like i really think that, that pittsburgh's built something uh sustainable there under pat narduzzi and tennessee obviously with with hendon hooker and, and some of the things they've they're intriguing so uh, i know that's one that i've got circled on my calendar also week two right yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, I always get about, confused now with that week zero. It kind of throws things off a little bit. Yeah, but how about that? those opening two games for Pitt? West Virginia and Tennessee. Yeah. We'll, Both we'll at some, home, though. We'll know something about that team after that stretch, certainly. And yeah. um, But that's tough. And that's what we saw, I think, last season with, with the ACC was a couple of those big ones don't go your way. And it's really hard as a conference to recover. Yeah. Uh, Narrative so, gets set just like it was in basketball, Mike. A hundred percent. Great point. That's you don't perform well in your early non-conference and all of a sudden you can't kind of get out from behind that eight ball. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Once the games start for now, we're going to enjoy uh camp we're going to enjoy some more uh, media availability some more scrimmages some more practices and uh, we're going to enjoy talking to all of you so thanks for listening you can subscribe to teal and barber on apple podcasts wherever you find your favorite pods and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the times dispatch you can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com today's show was produced by dean hoffmeyer and yours truly teal and barber is a podcast of the richmond times dispatch and richmond.com For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time.